there such a thing as more joy? Or when you have joy, like I had last week, I think, or last podcast, is it the same amount of joy? I don't know if this is delving into the realms of the spiritual, but that that game, another, yet another, just super encouraging performance. And the domination is what I think is going to be the lasting memory of that game, not the result. It's the fact that we went there and just completely bossed the whole thing. Well, thanks for listening in. I've got some interesting things, I hope, to to share with you this evening. That blog took me over six hours to write, um, by choice, to be fair. Um, Just really, really enjoyed writing that, so I put more into it. So I hope you liked it. Thank you for reading. Didn't want to do a sliding doors moment because I couldn't think of one, honestly. And I hate to always... Not always, but I hate to ever say the goal because that's cheap analysis, I think. I think there's something more important I just wanted to share. And this is it. I just had this thought. So I was just outside on on my um, upstairs porch and just thinking and wondering, um, is the fact that Mikel Arteta is proving to be a, a hugely impressive coach, one that's going to be vetted and approved of and then chased down by numerous European teams and international teams coming up shortly, I would imagine. But is the fact that he is being so successful, is that driven by the fact that he didn't ever play international football? And I know they're not really related, but if you get down to it on a human level, I just wonder if that pent-up frustration, anger, whatever you might call it, that a player that had a very good career wasn't ever able to even have one cap for Spain. And so I wonder if that's driven him or if he's just that way. I assume, or I've always assumed, that he's just that way. That's how he is. But to dissect football um, and have the bravery as a first-time coach to step into a job like Arsenal, first of all, and then almost be fearless in the fact that he wanted to start again, as I said multiple times and I said again today, and he wanted to reteach and do it his way without ever having any experience to point to, says to me that he had supreme drive. And I just wonder if that's where it came from. So I just wanted to say it. And this seems to be the best platform to say it on. Okay, here's another one. This is the positive, or the first positive that I wanted to talk about. When you rewatch that game, you just get, again, another sense of the level of control and um, assuredness in our performance. Um, When you watch it the first time, or certainly if you're at the stadium, I'm sure you are tense, 
you don't know what's about to happen next, and so that dramatically affects how you see the game. Uh, you watch things you wouldn't normally watch because of your stress levels. Um, so it's a completely different experience. Watch that game again, and you'll just be so encouraged as to how in control the team was even though we aren't as fans yet. We're not at the place where we're doing what we did to Nottingham Forest to most everybody, or we have the threat of doing that. Manchester City have that, you know. We all know that. They can beat anybody 5-6-0. They could beat Liverpool 5-6-0. You know, there's been huge re results and disparities and scorelines between some of the bigger teams involving Manchester City over the years. So we don't have that yet. But it's such a credit to our team that they are so calm and they're the ones actually doing the job and us as fans who are sweating it on the couch or in the stadium in the pouring rain don't have that feeling quite so much. Now maybe they're faking it and maybe they should all just become actors, who knows, because they're bloody good at it if that's the case. But, you know... I think after that result, that is the game that will be pointed to by other fans. That was the one. Those people who don't live in the United States that didn't have to get up at four, five, six, seven o'clock in the morning to watch that, there'll be people all over Europe that saw that game because it was it was shown in isolation. So, and they'll go, whoa, whoa, I've not seen... Arsenal look that clearly better than Chelsea in some people's lifetime and it was obvious and so I think everyone's pointing at Arsenal now and I think that ramps the pressure up so it's probably nice that we get a break because the pressure's not going to be ramped up when we play Wolves or Brighton this week but the next time a big game comes along I think a lot of people will expect us to win it and other teams have never really rated Arsenal. They think that we are weak sauce, right? I just listened on the way to Walmart, the uh, the home of Stan Kroenke. You know, he owns and, in my mind, he lives at Walmart in my town. And I can go see him any time and chat to him about transfers. But in the real world, I was at the Walmart and I was listening to the instant reaction, Arsenal Vision. If you don't listen to that, then it's the most worthwhile podcast um, in the Arsenal sphere, my opinion. Clive's comments was really interesting to me uh, on our players coaching out on the field. He he made the comment that he was at the game and he saw it with his eyes and and then I'm sort of going to nick that comment and, and say that uh, when I heard him say that, my mind went straight to Cedric and Elneny and Xhaka and the, there may be others, but but those guys in particular. And then you you bring that down to Xhaka and Elneny, who played, who were actually uh, doing their coaching badges at Arsenal uh, this season, and I think maybe last season as well. And I go back, I've been coaching since I was 16, and I have been coaching now for 32 years, so they're just showing you my age there. And I remember when I started coaching, what a better footballer I became. Uh, I was pretty good, I think, but I just understood 
I guess the whole point of football was the first thing because it, I was, as a teenager, you know, you're selfish inherently and the world has opened up to you and you see all these things that you want and it becomes about you. So many things become about you. And so I was that way. And then when I started to coach a team, I realised, hey, this is a team sport. I'd probably need to adjust how I play. And I'm telling these guys that they need to share the ball and they need to make good decisions, the best for the team and do this because it's the best for the team and this and that's the best for the team. And my eyes were just open wide. I could give you so many examples of things that I learnt and how that made me view football differently, um, instantly and differently, changed it quickly. And then I sort of regretted, even though 16 is really young to start coaching, I sort of regretted not doing it earlier. I don't know how I would have, because I don't know who would have given me an opportunity, but I was coaching my elementary school team in Berkhamsted, St Thomas More. They gave me the opportunity. I remember Matthew Nijveski was on my team. That last name might ring a bell. His dad, Eddie, was the goalie for Chelsea at the time. And I had that responsibility. And any time I went out there on the field to play for the academy I was playing in, um, after, I just found myself to be a better footballer. So anyway, I say all of that, not to tell you about my past, but just to say that if what Clive said is, is, is accurate, which it, it will be, then Arsenal, Arsenal's improvement is also, another factor is the fact that you've got guys who are coaching on the field, and you don't need all of them to become coaches or to do coaching courses to see that, but if enough of them are sort of backing up the manager in the locker room and keeping the team focused and saying the same type things to each other off the pitch, because we have to be honest about this, it's never, ever going to be just about what the coaching staff say to you because these players talk to each other when the coaches aren't there and you can't control that. So if you had more coaches on your team, people who think the same way, then you have an advantage. That's interesting, I think. So... The thing that I wanted to talk about, the need I wanted to talk about, um, is just sort of unloading the, the next, uh, or maybe the only frustration, footballing frustration I have right now, which is, you know, the England things coming up and, of course, being English and uh, really wanting to experience England winning the World Cup in my lifetime. I see this team and I think, well, these guys have got a chance. And, and then in the last, you know, six to 12 months, they look like maybe they don't have a chance compared to some of the others. It's a pretty even playing field at the top. Uh, there's one of maybe seven or eight teams that could win it. So, you know, I just feel that frustration. And I was looking today at the Aston Villa Man United game and Tyrone Mings did fine. Um, but I'm thinking there's a good chance that he gets picked ahead of Ben White. And I don't want to keep going on about that because... I talk about Ben White and Gareth Southgate way too much. But I was thinking to myself, if I was a national team manager, uh, Deschamps with Saliba, if <coughs> I'm... Let's pick another one. Um, Chiche with Brazil, <coughs> pardon me. I'm taking Martinelli. I'm taking Saliba. Uh, I know Saka's going to be taken. I'm taking Gabriel Jesus. And I'm not just going to take them, I'm going to play them. Why? because so much about the complication of trying to figure out how you strategize and win such an elite football tournament has to be surely simplified by just 
seeing if you can get away with picking the players in form. Now, if they haven't ever played together before, maybe that won't work. And that's what worries me because Southgate hasn't picked Ben White and Martin Lee doesn't play regularly, neither does Jesus for Brazil and, and so on and so forth. Uh, same with Gabriel, you could say at the back. Um, but if I was these guys, I'd pick them. I'd pick Ramsdale over Pickford, I think, even though Pickford does very well for England, just because of where they are. And they might be on a different team. England's a different team and Brazil's a different team to Arsenal, but they're still the same person and they're right smack in the midst of happiness. Every week they seem to win, these boys, and they seem to know how to do it. And maybe they can affect the others with their positive attitude. So... I'm wondering if that's going to be what happens this week because the squads are about to be announced and surely national team managers have got to look at players who are just flying and their confidence is at a high, high, high. So let's see, huh? And I wanted to mention another thing. I said in the blog that I was going to mention running in behind. And if you rewatch that game, Saka, to his credit, who's the one who never used to run behind last season, has started to do that. He's not really being found yet but he's making those runs. And in particular, when we're playing teams that have to push for a goal like Chelsea did, and their defence has no choice whether they want to be deep or not, they have they have to push up, and now they're spaced behind. We're just not capitalising on that. So if you were to just even close your eyes and think about, have you seen Gabriel Jesus, for example, running through one-on-one with the goalkeeper this season? And I'm not saying that he hasn't, because I just haven't got the energy to go into trying to figure out if he has or he hasn't, but just my memory says I don't remember seeing that. And I don't know how many opportunities he would have had to do that, but certainly one handful, maybe two handfuls. How many times has Bucky Osaka gone one-on-one with the goalkeeper? Martinelli's probably the best one to do it because he's the quickest. And I know he makes some of the runs, but it seems like... For example, when the ball goes to Odegaard or anyone in those spaces between the lines, that our instinct is to pass the ball to feet from there rather than just to slide it in behind. And again, I might have said this before, don't want to be a scratched record, but if Arsenal do have any downfall ahead of them, uh, games where they could have, should have won but didn't, that might be the reason because there's certainly enough possession for us to believe that Arsenal will go into almost every game this season out-possessing everybody probably apart from Manchester City. So we're going to have the ball and we're going to keep the ball and do it well. I don't know that that's going to change. But ultimately it's about putting the ball in the net and I don't know that Arsenal are anywhere near being the best team at the league at scoring simple chances. And... We're scoring way more goals. I'm tr- I don't want to come across as ungrateful or picking for the sake of it. But there are still a lot of games that are won by a goal where it's not last season where we won games by goal. This is now a far superior team that probably should be winning these games by more than a goal. So, OK, so how do you answer that question? Well, first of all, you surely have to go to, well, well which chances in the game are being missed? And are we even creating the simpler chances that football has to offer us? 
Is Gabriel Jesus the king of the six-yard box at Manchester City, scoring tap-ins in the six-yard box? No, not really. And are we running in behind and killing them with our pace and the fact that that they've had to push up? Or are we making attacking just a little bit harder than it needs to be by overpassing it? Anyway, keep an eye on that one. Wanted to mention in the hope section here, hopes often turns into transfers, rumours and wishes for the future and uh, we're right in smack in the middle of, of, of that even though it's nowhere near the month of January but with very few football matches until January, the club have obviously got their eye t- uh, tight on that one. And uh, again, I picked this one up from Clive, don't want to take credit for having this initial thought but he was talking uh, tonight about the need to have a killer, somebody who's super quick and devastating to come off the bench to kill games. Almost like Martinelli's brother, right? And maybe when Smith-Rowe comes back, we'll be able to rotate them more. Martinelli will be able to come on. But now this isn't uh, Clive's thought. This one, I suppose, is more mine. But Mikhailo Mudrik, that I've mentioned many times before, is that player in this, again, rumours that Arsenal are going back in for him. And he's... Uh, uh, young 19-year-old, I think he is, at Shakhtar Donetsk, um, who, for many, many reasons, I think, would like to get out of the situation, bless his heart, um, in Ukraine, even though they don't play their home games in, in Ukraine. And I think that's going to happen in January, probably in January, simply because of how life is for him. And the quicker he can change his life uh, with uh, the world situation, I'm sure that he will do that. And there's a lot of teams in for him. But a player like him or Diaby, Musa Diaby at Bayer Leverkusen, somebody who's got blazing, blistering speed. You know, I love Almiron. don't think Newcastle would ever sell him to us. Now they're competing. But I agree with Clive in that one. Here's another interesting one. Uh, Rem, I think I pronounced that right. R-E-I-M-S, which is the team that Balogun plays for in France, are now at the top half of the league I think they're in the top six, actually. And he scored again his eighth goal of the season. They won 1-0, and there he is, winning goal again. And so I'm wondering, uh, even though we gave Eddie a very generous contract, in my opinion, 100 grand a week, I think it was, is there going to be a point coming sooner than we realise where we have to make a decision, Eddie or Follerham Balogun? That's a really interesting one to, to ponder, because... Balogun's playing every single week and the French league is not a farmer's league. Don't listen to people who say that. Uh, If it was, why are most of the players being sold around the world for big money coming from the French league? Why have the French national team got one of the deepest squads in the history of the game? So many young, talented, athletic players. Uh, So, you know, it might not be the Premier League, but it's still um, a league to be... Uh, commended and Balogun has shown consistency and won so many games for his team this season. So we need to keep an eye on that one. The Saliba contract uh, situation is really interesting, isn't it, as well? Because he's in a really, really um, neat position for him and his agent because the longer he's allowed to play football, it seems, the more money he's going to demand. And then, I hate to sound negative, but I, I do wonder what, Arsenal are willing to do because they sold all their players that had the big earnings and I sort of got the impression they didn't want to go back to that 
um, and have that huge disparity with some of the players earning a hundred grand a week, some earning fifty, and and one or two earning two hundred and fifty, three hundred that didn't even deserve it. Now, hopefully, they'll have the mentality of this guy deserves it, but there'll be clubs that will offer Saliba, I would imagine, two hundred grand a week, for example, uh, maybe even more. Um, there's an argument that was being spat around. I think it was me that started it today on Twitter that, oh no, actually it's Peter Legrove that Saliba is right now the best centre-back or best young centre-back in the world. And there's an argument that form-wise he's the best centre-back in the world, um, even though it's a small sample size this season. So how much are Arsenal willing to offer him? And Lord, please let it be enough. I mean, surely, surely he wants to stay. Um... But he's not British. And PSG are going to be interested. These are all thought bubbles I'm spitting out here. Anyway, let's not sweat that one. That's not happening anytime soon, is it? So, okay. Last thought that I wanted to have. End on a happy note, which is if we're thinking about transfers and how this team is going to be improved in January even further, I think we have to recognise how Arsenal are being seen from the outside. And I think Arsenal are now a team that everybody will want to play for. And I think that's that's it, really. We're top of the Premier League. Could win the Premier League this season. So many players would love to jump on that boat, right? Doing things the right way. Beautiful football. Uh, young team capable of winning this year and in future years. One of the most attractive um, jobs, not I hate to call football a job, but one of the most attractive um, clubs in world football right now. And maybe, maybe, maybe the most attractive because everyone seems to want to play in the Premier League and Arsenal seem to want to give opportunities to young players. And, well, we're in a great position. So I say that to say this. I really hope that we do strengthen and give it our very best effort to strengthen because you should really strengthen when you're on top. Because let's say, for example, things were to fall away at the end of the season and then said player in the summer has an opportunity to go to Arsenal or perhaps Liverpool, let's say, and Liverpool have come back and we fell away a little and he chooses to go to Liverpool because Liverpool have been doing this at the top level longer than Arsenal. And we look back and think, ah, should have done it in January. Because we were, was it 13 points, 15 points ahead of Liverpool. He would have chosen Arsenal then. Anyway, fun thoughts, fun times. Thank you for reading my blog, as always. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Greatly appreciate it. Sorry if it was a little long today. Ta-da.